Hey, I'm Daniel, and welcome to the Milwaukee Chi Alpha podcast. What you're about to listen to is our sermon series called Sent. We're studying the book of Acts, the ordinary people who had an extraordinary story. In this episode, you're going to hear from one of two pastors and directors of Milwaukee Chi Alpha, Jeff Winkleman. He'll preach on Acts 2, specifically the work of the Holy Spirit. How do we understand the role of the Spirit? Acts 2 shows how the Spirit works methodically yet mystically, and we can trust His work, bringing us opportunities to choose Jesus. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Regia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Now, Jeff. Brenda, you wrote, read that so beautifully, all the names. I was worried that we'd get hung up there, but you, you nailed all the names. Awesome work. Uh, that's a tricky one. Okay, uh, so this passage, um, maybe as you're reading this, you're here in the room thinking, oh my gosh, what are we talking about tonight? Or maybe you're in the room thinking, oh, I love this passage. I've heard it a million times. Probably anywhere in between that spectrum, this is one of those passages in scripture that's pretty jarring and pretty uh, eventful, (laughs) to say the least, right? Um, Some crazy supernatural stuff happens in this scene. And it's often a a, a point of tension in the church. And tonight is, I want to invite you in to a posture tonight with me as we journey into asking questions of what our Bible is telling us, right? Uh, In Acts chapter 2, what in the world is going on? I would invite you to keep your hearts open to what maybe this passage may be saying. Maybe if you're familiar with this passage, to not check out and saying, yeah, I know this passage and, and move on. Maybe this is very odd and kind of out there, I would invite you to keep your heart open to hear maybe there's a a way of understanding this passage that I need tonight. And if you would allow us to kind of together on this journey of discovering what our Bible is presenting to us, I believe tonight that we will see the mystical and methodical work of the Holy Spirit. That The Holy Spirit was given on this day, this here, this moment, is a powerful moment in church history where the Holy Spirit was, the promised Holy Spirit, Jesus, right last week Catherine talked about this passage where Jesus says, wait, because I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you the promise. 
And so they've been waiting, and it's been 10 days since that moment. They've been waiting 10 days. And so whatever this, they didn't know what it was, but they were waiting for something that Jesus said they needed. And if the disciples who knew Jesus really, really well, who watched him for three years, walked with him, saw the miracles, saw him die, and saw him rise again, and then spent 40 days with him, those disciples, Jesus said, you're not ready yet. You need what I'm giving you. And this, this is the moment where that gift is received, okay? And if Jesus said the disciples need this, then it must be important. And we need to dig out what's going on there and ask what's happening, why is this important, and how do we in- interpret that and understand that and engage with our Bible in that thing? Okay, does that make sense? Y'all with me tonight? Right. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, amen. <laughs> Great. Okay, so we're going to look at the mis- mystical and methodical work of the Holy Spirit. The mystical and the methodical work of the Holy Spirit. Mystical in that he's supernatural and that he's God. He's one of the persons of the triune God, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He's God and God is supernatural, we have to make room for the fact that God is beyond my understanding. If he's within my understanding, he's not God at all. So we have to leave room for the reality that God is mystical, that we're not going to grasp what is going on. It's a mystery. But then also, God is methodical in the fact that he knows what he's doing. It's logical. It makes sense, especially when you have, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, right? You look back, and you're like, oh, that's what you're doing, God. And you see how he's navigating, because he's, he's a methodical, logical, it's in the daily, day-to-day kind of way he's working. He's working in ordinary ways, in ordinary places, because he's a methodical God, too. He's mystical, and yet he's also methodical. Tonight, I want to journey into this passage and kind of bring those two realities out, not only in the scene we have here, but then what happens right after this scene is when Peter gets up to talk, Okay. Does that make sense? You following with me? Mystical, methodical work of the Holy Spirit. That's where we're going tonight. Let's jump right into this idea of mystical. Okay, this scene that we have in front of us, Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, describes these disciples are sitting in this place, in this upper space, and then a rushing wind comes, and there's like fire on top of their heads, and then they start something comes out of their mouths and it's in other language that they've never known before. And you're like, what in the world is going on? How in the world do we get here? What do we make of that reality? Mystical. A mystery to the disciples at the moment. And yet, they clearly didn't seem too jarred by this. They're in just like in experiencing this reality of the, the presence of God has come on them and this is what comes out of them. Mystery. Now, before we get all, like, <clears throat> just a little caveat about the Holy Spirit. And we're talking about speaking in tongues, all the other things. We, so here in Chi Alpha, we, we love the Holy Spirit. As, part, as much of the church as all of the church believes, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We, we love the work of the Holy Spirit. We believe the Holy Spirit still works in ways that we see in the book of Acts. We believe that still happens here. We also believe he is, he's understandable, too. That he's not just doing weird, hokey things because he wants to be weird. He's God. He knows who's in the room, and he's, he has a reason why he does what he does. And so as we examine what's happening here, I think you'll understand something a little bit really cool. Because in this scene, in this mystical scene, we have 
these disciples and Mary and Jesus' brothers, which is also a unique note, Jesus' brothers have now joined. It's awesome. Anyway, well, that's another, that's another sermon for another time. Uh, but they're all in this room, and then they, they start speaking other languages. But they're not just speaking unknown languages. They're speaking the languages of the people in the city. Because context here, what's happened is this is, well, day of Pentecost is 50 days after Pentecost, right? 50 days after Passover, okay? So that's, it's been 50 days since the cross. Okay, and, and Jewish holidays, big deal, right? People would pilgrimage from wherever they were. They were scattered all over the region. And they'd come back to, to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem. But also because journeys are really long, they'd stay for a long time. And there's other festivals. And the Passover, or sorry, Pentecost, was also known at that point as the Festival of Weeks, which is a harvest time festival. And so we have all these people who have been staying around and they've watched a whole lot of things, but they're from all over the regions, right? We just, we just heard all the regions of which they're from. And they all speak different languages, their home languages, but they also speak the common language of, of Jerusalem because they're, they're Jews. And so here they are, they're walking around the city. They've been witnesses of a lot of things that have happened over the past probably year or so with Jesus. They've known about Jesus. Some of them have participated in the events around Jesus. We'll see that in a second. But then they're walking down the street, and all of a sudden they see something weird. They see wind blowing, they see fire, but then they hear something. They're not just hearing gibberish. They're hearing the language of their home. They're hearing a familiar language, but in an unfamiliar context. And it's not like, yikes, those people are crazy. It's, what's going on? And you see in the passage that they're utterly amazed, and they start, they, the, the posture is leaning in. And one thing we need to recognize when we look at the mystical work of the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about yikes, we're talking about what's going on, right? There's that, that posture of what, what's going on there, and it softens us to like lean in. Does that make sense? Like, this is one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit works when, he's not, when we're not understanding what he's doing. It's an opportunity for us to lean into what's going on because it was familiar language but in an unfamiliar context. They, they, they heard people who they knew didn't speak their language. And they're like, how do they know my language? They're utterly amazed, they're perplexed, and they're hearing someone explain the glories and marvelousness of God in their own language. And they start asking questions. And it's a really powerful scene of how the mystical work of the Spirit didn't lead to people saying, yikes, although we have some people who are making fun of them, they're thinking they're drunk. But the crowd in general is now leaning in. And so whenever we examine the mystical work of the Holy Spirit, let's remember that he, the Spirit wants to show up. And, and, and Jesus says that he sent the Spirit. He's, he's, he's got to go so he can send his Spirit who can be with all of us always, to equip and to train, to guide, to teach, to remind, to correct, but also to equip and empower. Remember last week, Catherine brought out that verse, Acts 1, 8. You'll be my, my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be empowered to do that. Right? The Spirit wants to equip and empower and send us out, not make us weird and unrelatable. Does that make sense? Mystical and yet methodical. And even in the mystery of it, it should bring our posture to lean in. And there's a softening that should happen, that often happens. It doesn't always. But what we see in this story 
is a softening of them as they lean in, a familiar language in an unfamiliar context. Another note with this is we're talking about how the mystical work of the Holy Spirit, just kind of recognizing like sometimes it's just, I don't understand why it's working, but here I am, you know, I'm leaning in. Something we say in Chi Alpha, we believe love and laughter softens hard hearts. There's something about the mystery of hanging out together and loving each other well and laughing together that just does something to our hearts. It, it breaks off walls into, to a point where we start leaning into each other and we're more concerned about each other, or more open to hear from each other, right? The same kind of idea. It's a familiar, right? We know love and laughter, but when it's in an unfamiliar context, sometimes it helps us lean in a little bit. I think that's part of the mystical work of the Holy Spirit. He's doing something that we can't always grasp that causes us to lean in. Mystical. Okay, but let's also look at the methodical work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> like I've already said, sometimes we look at the mystery in, in, in hindsight. It's like, oh, that makes sense, right? It's no longer mystical. Now it's, it's, you see the, myth, the methodicalness of the Holy Spirit. Um, <clears throat> but in the, as we examine the uh, methodical work of the Holy Spirit, what I want you to see is the journey. And imagine the journey that these people have been on to get us to this point, right? So here in this story, and and right after right, Brenda read that verse and it says, and some of them thought they were drunk. Then the very next line, it says, Peter got up with the 11. So they're all now looking out at the crowd. They've seen the crowd is, is, is looking up at them. And then he begins to describe what's happening. His brothers and sisters, we're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. And then he says, but here's what you're seeing. Here's what you're witnessing. And all of a sudden, Peter starts eloquently, beautifully walking through Old Testament verses about what's happening. There's a mystical moment of, of the Holy Spirit empowering Peter in that moment, right? Now he's all of a sudden equipped. If you know Peter, Peter's a loose cannon. He's been a loose cannon the whole time he's walking with Jesus. He's done some bonehead things. He's gotten it right, but then he's gotten it really wrong. You know, like he, didn't, he, he rebukes Jesus for saying he's going to go to the cross. He also... Uh, what does he do? He, he, he cuts off a guy's ear in haste because he's worried about getting Jesus being crucified. And then he denies Jesus three times. Peter, Peter's made some bad moves, right? Um, but then here he is. In this critical moment, he's beautifully and eloquently, mysteriously changed. But he's methodically walking through Old Testament verses. And he's showing, this is what you're seeing. This is what Jesus promised. Actually, this is actually what Joel promised way back. Y'all know the prophet Joel. He's talking to all these, crowd, these people who know their Old Testament really well. And he starts reciting to them this, these verses in Joel chapter 2. And methodically walks through and unpacks the Old Testament verses that were so familiar to them, saying this, this is the reality today. The Holy Spirit that was promised has now come. And it's been poured out, it says. And, he, and, he, and then Peter continues on, and he says to the crowd, he says to them, you all saw this Jesus. You've been around him, right? Verse 22, it straight up says, you saw his miracles, you heard his teachings. And then verse 23 says, and you were there when they handed him over. You were the ones who handed him over to be crucified. So now we get a little bit more insight as to the journey of where these disciples, or these, this crowd has been. 
We know they're from all over the regions, but they've also been around long enough that they know this Jesus. They've heard his stories. They've witnessed his miracles. And some of them have even been in the mobs and the crowds that wanted him crucified. My guess is Peter looked out of this crowd because he, he, Peter's a Jew. And he's a, he's, this is a lot of family relationships that are, are in the city here, right? And so pro- probably Peter looked out in the crowd and he knew people. He saw faces, maybe people who had been in other moments along walk with Jesus. He probably knew faces. He's like, I know where you were. You know who this Jesus was. But he didn't stay dead. You saw him. You were there when he got crucified. But he's not dead anymore. Right? And then he methodically walks through a passage in Psalms and exposes, like, Jesus didn't stay dead. He didn't suffer decay. He's alive. He continues his journey until he gets to this beautiful point if that's the case, and Jesus is not dead anymore, that means he's alive, and that means he's king, he's Lord, and he's Messiah. Methodically, the work of the Holy Spirit, exposing to this crowd all that what the Old Testament has been doing. These people have been around long enough. They've seen and witnessed. They've seen the pieces, right? They've been a part of the joyous parts, and even been part of the crowds that brought Jesus to the cross. And now they see, oh, that's who he is. The mystical and the methodical work of the Holy Spirit has pulled not only Peter, but all of this crowd into this critical moment where Jesus is being revealed to these people. Thousands of people are now witnessing something that it says in verse 37, they were cut to the heart. Why? Because their eyes are not open that they really see who this Jesus is. They saw him before and maybe they kind of thought, oh, he's cool, he does miracles. And they got angry at him and they saw the Roman, yeah, he was a political guy, he just got, yeah, he's dead. Like, no, now he's alive. He must be Lord and they're cut to the heart. And what I want to do in this moment is, is acknowledge the reality that the Holy Spirit has known all of this, right? Jesus knew what he was doing when he sent the Holy Spirit in this moment. He knew the people that were going to be in the crowd, where they're from. He knew that they were going to be witnesses of these events throughout Jesus' life and ministry and the crucifixion and the resurrection. He knew them all. And here we have this critical moment. The Holy Spirit has led not only Peter and the disciples, but this crowd here beautifully, mystically, methodically drawn these people to this moment where their hearts are cut to the heart. They're like, oh, that's what it is. He is. He is the Lord. What I hope you see in this is the aim of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ. What the Holy Spirit wants to do in all of us is open our eyes to see who Jesus is, truly is, that he is alive and that he is Lord for all of us, that that is all of our reality, that he is still alive. He's not dead now. He's still alive. And he's still not only Lord of all people, but he wants to be Lord of your life, right? And walk as if he is Lord. And he wants to reveal to us Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not trying to be just hokey and weird. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal Jesus. 
to all of us. And we have the opportunity to respond, just like this crowd does. The crowd is cut to the heart, and then they respond, what shall we do? And I just want to ponder on that for a minute, the what shall we do? This is pretty remarkable that this crowd, who has just been told, you saw the witnesses, you even were the ones that threw them in to the cross. Peter's Peter's been pretty uh, upfront with them. And yet, they're there responding beautifully. I don't know about you, but I've had some bad responses in my life. Um, Sometimes in our response to those moments, sometimes we just deny it, completely reject, rebuttal. Yeah, no, that's not the way it is. We refuse to accept it, right? And we just push up a wall, right? Maybe our it, it, maybe you could imagine our heart literally being hardened by that. And like, no, rejection, right? Deny that moment and that truth. That's not true. I wasn't a part of that group. I didn't do that, right? We need to just deny. I've done that. I'm sure many of us have done that kind of response. When, someone, when, when we're provided an opportunity, a critical moment, we've been cut to the heart, we deny. Sometimes not, we don't deny, but maybe we deflect and our heart becomes like rubber, right? It's like, we're not, maybe we're not putting up fronts and being like that, but we just, everything just bounces off. Yeah, but, oh, let me give you a reason why that's the case. No, that's not real. I wasn't, well, let me tell you why I got, see, you have to understand something. I was in that crowd because, because my friend, right? And we just kind of like, you walk it out and you explain, excuse, right? Deflect. Too often, this is what I do. Have you done that? Or maybe the third one. We just ignore it. We go numb. This is an easy one today, right? Because what? I don't have my phone on me. You, just, you see something. And you have an opportunity to engage and respond. Ah, it's just easier. You feel something is convicting you and you like have an opportunity to say yes to something really good. It's just hard. And you scroll. You pull up the phone, you go somewhere, you go to a game, do something. It's just easy to ignore. Have a critical moment. That's easier. That, I don't really know what's there. There's a lot of risk there. Who knows? It might get worse. I'll just do nothing. I've done that. Have you done that? But somehow this crowd doesn't do any of those. They simply say, what shall we do? Which means they were receiving that. They accepted what was being presented to them and let it hit. They were cut to the heart and they received it. And it's so interesting. Here's the note. I was, I was talking with a couple students today, actually. And I was talking about this, this passage because they weren't going to be here tonight. And I was describing that point about like, our hearts and how we respond. One of the guys said, like, you know, it's so interesting because, like, in that crowd are people from all over the region. It says in every corner of, of, of every nation under heaven, it says. We list, there's many of them. And yet, this truth hit all of their hearts. This truth was a, was a message for all people. 
no matter what the background, no matter where they were from, this, this, this truth was for all people, that we all can receive and accept this. And I love that picture of the diversity here, that will, will we, what will we do? Will we choose this? This is for anyone. It's for everyone. It's not just for those who are here in this room. It's for our entire campus. And God wants to reach our whole campus. You know, when I was a freshman, I came here. I came to UWM. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and I was trying to get into the school. Actually, I wanted to be an architecture student. And that summer before my freshman year, I, I hadn't gotten my acceptance letter, letter to, to the architecture school. And I was just hoping that I'd get in. And I started praying, God, if you want me to be in there, would you just, just open the door? And I spent a whole week praying with the hope that at the end of that week, I was going to call the admissions office and find out what God wanted me to do. And at the end of that week, I called the office and they said, hold on, I actually I recognize your name. And the lady came back and said, yeah, actually, your our application was under review, but we just sent you an uh, acceptance letter. So you're going to get an acceptance letter in the mail, but congratulations, you're in the architecture program. And I was like, wow. God, thank you for answering. I was like, the mystical work of the Holy Spirit right there in that moment. And then I, was, I needed finances, right? And I, what I wanted to run cross-country, and I was like, oh, I can't do both because to run, I can't have a job and I don't know how to do this. So I'd gotten on the team um, here at UWM, but I, I emailed the coach saying, hey, I just can't afford to come. I just got to, you know, and then out of the blue, the next day, he calls me and says, I have a full tuition scholarship for you. And I was just floored, like, God, you must be op- <laughs> conferring all my wildest dreams to come to the school, to study architecture, to be an architect who would one day design roller coasters. Like, that was my dream. And I thought God was confirming all of it in all these mystical, powerful ways. But I got to campus, and it was nothing like I thought it would be. I tanked in my schooling. My running never got any better. I actually got worse. I got angry at God. I'm like, what are you doing? But then the, the, myth, the methodical work of the Holy Spirit began to expose to me all the times where maybe I ignored him, rejected him, deflected him in the past. Because he had presented the idea of ministry to me many times before. But it wasn't until I was in this dark moment when things were starting to fall away that I feel like I could finally hear clearly that God was calling me to be a pastor. And he had brought me to that critical moment to finally hear it with this mystical and methodical work. An opportunity. What will we do? Will we receive it? And my hope tonight is that we can have a little bit more confidence in the, mess, uh, the mystical and the methodical work of the Holy Spirit and that we too will be like the crowd who can say, yes, I choose Jesus. Last week, Catherine talked about our three anchors, right? And anchor number one, real devotion to the person of Jesus, we said means choosing Jesus. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives in such a way that helping us to come to that point to choose Jesus. That's what he wants all of us to do. For some of us, this is a reminder of the daily. He wants me to choose Jesus, not just on the big moments, critical moments, but everything, all the little things. We're mindful of him. We're submitted our heart to him. We're choosing him along the way. He wants us to choose him. 
But maybe you're in the room and, and the idea of choosing Jesus has never been something you've truly considered. And maybe you're experiencing that, what the crowd experienced, a cut to the heart. Maybe you wouldn't quite use those words, but maybe that's where you're at. And you have an opportunity right now to deny, deflect, ignore, or maybe receive this moment saying, I want to choose Jesus tonight. And I want to encourage you, it's so simple to say yes to Jesus and ask, what shall I do? What do I need to do, Jesus? And Peter gives us a really clear response right after this in verse 38, 39. He says, here's what you need to do after they, says, repent and be baptized. And this is a way of closing here. I just want to unpack. Basically what Peter is saying there is choose Jesus because repentance isn't, there's a lot of baggage we have with that. That word literally means to do this, to stop doing this and turn around, right? It means to do a 180. Stop doing something and choose Jesus. Turn around. And that's meant to be a daily way of walking with Jesus, that we all know how to exercise that muscle of repentance that says, ah, Jesus, you've opened my eyes to see this, that I'm doing, and I need to do this. Turn. That's daily choosing Jesus. And it says, be baptized, all of you, in the name of Jesus, which is essentially declaring publicly what it is now of your inner reality. I believe Jesus is, and I'm joined to Jesus, that I too will pass through the waters. There's a lot there, I won't, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that I'll join Jesus in death and resurrection with this sacred symbol of baptism, saying, this is now who I am. I am in Christ, I am joined to Christ, and I want to make that public. Like, that's, that's what baptism is. And if you're interested in being baptized, you've never been baptized before, come to Fall Retreat. There's actually a, there'll be a time for baptism there, which is really awesome. But what I want you to hear in that verse that Paul, Peter tells us, he says, repent and be baptized, is simply choose Jesus. Choose Jesus together, choose Jesus uh, uh, publicly, and also choose Jesus daily. This is a daily way of choosing him and letting him lead us and guide us by his spirit, trusting the mystical and the methodical work of the spirit to open our eyes to see who Jesus really is, that he is alive and he is Lord. And I believe if we do this together, guys, I believe our campus will be different. I believe our world will be different if we were together to trust the methodical and the mystical work of the Spirit, to choose Jesus in those moments, to not deflect, to not deny to not ignore, but to receive what he's doing. This is a great place to do that together. Let's choose Jesus. And I believe not only will you experience some radical transformation, just like Peter went, radical transformation, the crowd, radical transformation. You too, it's for you too. But many others as well. As well. So I'm going to pray in response and give us a minute here. And then before we end, I want to give us a couple questions you can discuss with those around you. And we'll do a, a few minutes of discussion. Well, let's bow your heads and let's, uh, let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for sending your spirit. You said that it is better that you would go so that you could send your spirit to be with us always and be with all people. Lord, I believe you. <laughs> I believe that it is better that you sent your spirit. 
that now you, we can awaken hearts and minds all over the globe throughout all of history to see and experience who you are, Jesus. Help us all to trust the mystical and the methodical work of the Holy Spirit. And help all of us to choose you as you work in us. To respond by choosing you and saying yes to you. What, what must I do, Jesus? And having a softened heart to you. And if you're in the room tonight and you are in that place of I've been cut to the heart and for the first time in my life I'm ready to choose Jesus. If that's you in the room and tonight you want to make that first step, would you raise your hand or look at me or something and let me know that you want to choose Jesus for the first time? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you so much that you are, you are working and moving by your Spirit to awaken hearts and minds to know you. Lord, for those who are making the commitment for the first time, Jesus, would you lead them into a whole new place, a whole new place where they're known in you. You fill them up with joy and freedom as they're wowed by who you are. May that be the reality for all of us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So before we end, I, wanna, I want us to look at a couple questions. And you can do this with a person beside you, maybe two groups of two, three, or four. And respond to this. Because I think there's so much more that happens than just hearing a sermon, but now to be able to say, okay, what about this, though? So here's the three questions, three questions. Do you tend to view God through a mystical or methodical perspective? And why do you think we need both? Have you been cut to the heart before and what was that like for you? And how do you think the world would change if we all chose Jesus daily? Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Instagram at MilwaukeeXA to keep up to date on our events and services. We're stopped by Bolton Hall Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. in room B40.